Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Cannizzaro and Aaron Smith as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Inside the OC podcast. In case you forgot, my name is Matt Canizzaro. We are here to talk about bowling and the USBC Open Championships. We've got a very talented young standout guest on today's show. But first, let me bring in my co-host for this afternoon, Ms. Aaron Smith. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing today? What's going on, sir? It's been, uh, it feels like forever. It's been weeks and weeks since we've had the opportunity to do this. I uh, almost forgot the name of the show, but uh, looking forward to, to getting back to it. Is the name of the show the Matt Canizzaro Power Hour? That is that is coming up later today. Uh, hopefully, maybe I can talk JT into here on Bull TV, but uh, no, we, uh, we talk OC, we're going to talk uh, Team USA, PBA, uh, a lot of good stuff coming up. We did some homework. We just learned a lot in five minutes before the show. Uh, about uh, today's guest is going to be Chris Prather uh, from, uh, again, uh, Wichita State at one point. Uh, he grew up in Florida. Uh, so th- we'll talk about the path, the journey, uh, and how the last couple of years have been. And, of course, all the wackiness here in 2020. Uh, since we last talked here on Inside the OC, a lot has happened uh, for us, especially some big announcements last week. Some of those will impact Chris as well and, and his uh, 2021. So looking forward to hearing some thoughts on that. That includes the schedule uh, for all of our major events, uh, of course, beyond just the Open and Women's Championships, uh, U.S. Open, Masters, all that good stuff, all the things we missed in 2020. Uh, any any thoughts before uh, we bring in Mr. Prather and, and hear about uh, how the fish are biting these days uh, and such? Uh, the Shark, Clark Kent, more nicknames. Uh, than uh, than you can think of, and uh, maybe uh, you know we'll hear some more stories about those as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing them, Matt. Uh, obviously, you're, you're referring to the Masters and the U.S. Open on uh, Mr. Prather's schedule, so uh, I'm sure events he he will be ready to attend. He'll be excited to attend. Uh, you know, some success in the past at the U.S. Open as well. Uh, but let's bring him in. Let's get let's get chatting with the shark. Yeah. Here he comes. Shark Kent. That's my favorite one uh, of the recent (laughs) TV shows. Sir, how are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are y'all? All All right. Appreciate you uh, you joining us today. Um, I know Aaron, uh, looking forward to to hearing some of the stories as well. You guys had a chance to talk about uh, the Midwest. Aaron from Indiana. You are now in Illinois uh, enjoying uh, a a frigid, horrible, terrible Illinois winter right now. It's uh, 75 and sunny. You got the the meat ready to go on the grill. So uh, I feel terrible for you there. I know it's, it's heartbreaking to me as well. You know, I, I'm just really looking forward to shoveling my driveway here in the next couple months. So I'm, re- I'm really trying to soak in the sunlight. Fair enough. Well, uh, again, thanks for, for dropping in. You're fresh off a trip uh, to maybe celebrate some success uh, in the limited opportunities that you had here in 2020. Uh, tell us about that. What have you been up to? Uh, we'll talk more about the early part of 2020. It's almost over now. So talking about COVID and uh, and quarantine, it's, uh, it almost seems like yesterday stuff already. But most recently, you had a, a lot going on PBA tour-wise. You're out there uh, throwing some strikes, uh, but had a chance to relax and enjoy some of this uncharacteristic warm weather. Tell us about what you've been up to. Yeah, my father-in-law and I just uh, went half and half on a new boat, new Lund, 
Um, and uh, this past weekend, we went to Wisconsin to visit one of his buddies and and kind of break in the boat a little bit. Um, fishing wasn't that great. Water was still pretty cold, but uh, we mostly wanted to just make sure she floated and, and uh, ran right. And uh, we did catch one fish. Um, I didn't even catch it. Uh, our friend Jim caught it, a uh, 44-inch muskie. So not a bad fish to, to kind of get the monkey off the back on the new boat. And, uh, I think we might go to Lake Michigan tomorrow, uh, or Saturday, and then maybe to make a trip down to, uh, Mississippi or Alabama to do some crappie fishing, uh, before Christmas. So it just depends on the weather. All right. Well, excellent. Glad, uh, glad you had the opportunity to, to have that quality time. Uh, for those folks who may be OC fans but don't know uh, a little bit about you, of course, uh, you had your breakout performance at the Open Championships back in 2011 as a young college student at Wichita State. We'll hear more about your collegiate career and those endeavors. Uh, and then, of course, in recent years, we've seen a lot of you on the PBA Tour telecast. Uh, three titles now, uh, including uh, the Scorpion Championship back in 2019, uh, then the PBA Playoffs. Last year, which wasn't a title than it was, and surprise, uh, along with the hundred thousand dollars for that, uh, and then uh, a major championship at the TOC. So things getting progressively better, and then all of a sudden, COVID nineteen comes and, and trying to to slow down the shark attack. But uh, uh, let's hear about twenty twenty four. You got off to a great start. Momentum coming from a terrific twenty nineteen as well. Uh, we'll talk PBA tour right now before we get into uh, Team USA and the Open Championships. But uh, tell us about, walk us through 2019 uh, and that great success and then the path that you were on in 2020 to, to even improve on that. Yeah, so I'm the type of bowler that the longer that we can keep bowling, the better I get, meaning if we, like the last two years, the tour season has started in January and we haven't really had a day off until like March, April. So I, by February, March, April, I'm like really hitting my strides and I'm getting a lot more confident on the lanes. And a lot of that is because I take time off. I go fishing, things like that. So it takes a, a tournament or two for me to start seeing the lane properly again. And that's just not enough time on the lanes. And that's my fault. That's one of my big flaws is not practicing a ton. When I'm at home, I try to spend a lot of time with my family and and go and do things other than just bowl all the time. Um, so 2019 kind of got off to a slow start and then I won at the world series and then won the playoffs and, um, you know, had a pretty decent year after that, uh, nothing crazy after that, after the playoffs, but, uh, 2020 started out pretty much the exact same way where the first couple tournaments I was, uh, a little behind the, you know, the pace and, and struggling a little bit. And, uh, it all came together, you know, all at the right time, honestly, with the TOC, the players championship, and then the U S open all being back to back to back. And, uh, you know, it was, after I won the TOC, I was like, wow, this might be my, my player of the year year. Um, I was really confident and, and seeing the lane really well, made the show at the, at the players. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately for my sake, 
didn't make the show at the U.S. Open because Perry decided to throw an eight bagger at me. But you know, whatever. Um, and uh, and then the the World Series had a decent World Series where I made every cut except Cheetah, and uh, then COVID. And you know, in those four or five months that we had off, we had some invite only um, type of events with King of the Lanes and Strike Derby and uh, tour finals and um what was the other one there was another one anyway uh we had those invite only and i really hadn't bowled too much up to the the june events and uh i was very fortunate that they were on something a little bit easier than uh than what we typically bowl on because i hadn't practiced and got fortunate enough to win the the strike derby which everyone out there watching if you have the capability to do it, you need to do it because one, it's a lot of fun and it's absolutely exhausting. Um, I, the, the, the thing that might hinder you a little bit is the racks just aren't going to be fast enough. Um, but it is a ton of fun and I'm really looking forward to doing that event again in the future. Um, but again, you know, we didn't know what was going to be happening after those two events we didn't know what was going to be going on so i went back to fishing spending time outside and uh then july rolls around and we have tour finals and uh king of the lanes and uh had an opportunity to to beat kyle and uh have a chance at the title for tour finals uh didn't didn't take the win there but did get the win at king of the lanes um so that's pretty cool. Uh, people calling me King Shark now, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, and then PBA League, and finally got to finish the World Series in the playoffs. And unfortunately, didn't have any titles, um, you know, other than those three or four to to go for. Um, but glad that we were able to actually end the the season and and kind of finish 2020 on a, on a positive note for the PBA tour and, and leading into 2021. Absolutely. Chris, I, I got to ask what, what type of preparation, if any, did you do for the strike derby? How, how do you even uh, <laughs> prepare for something like that? Is, I mean, was there, was there anything you could do or was it just literally like just kind of a mental process of, okay, I have to run here, run there, run there, throw strikes, throw strikes, more strikes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, <laughs> For me, I there were guys that like would practice that at the at their home centers. Um, I personally didn't because I was like, I don't want to get this notion of like I have it all figured out or anything like that. Like, uh, I'm just gonna show up. I'm gonna see what happens and then go from there. And for me, I really emphasized quality over quantity. Um, I still was able to get like average of 14 shots in two minutes, which is a lot, not compared to like Kyle or Anthony who were throwing 19 or 20, but I was throwing 14 higher quality shots than what I would have if I was just going full speed uh, like Kyle and Anthony. And I will say being two-handed has a huge advantage because you don't have to put your thumb in it or anything like that, which is I think where Bill and Tommy – um, kind of struggled a little, especially Tommy, because he puts his thumb in first and then his fingers. Um, so I, I had little to no preparation. I didn't practice it until we got there. 
And they were like, hey, we need to make sure the pin setters are fast enough. So why don't you, you know, go through it? And uh, that was when I practiced. And that's that's when I realized, okay, I can't go 100% because I'm throwing it all over the place. I need to go about 75 or 80% on speed and really focus on throwing a quality shot. And I think that if Simonson would have, you know, struck a couple more times, I was so gassed by the end of it that I wouldn't have been able to throw more strikes than I did. I mean, I, I even going, even only needing to throw seven or eight strikes or whatever it was, I almost ran out of time at the end because I just couldn't get all 10 to fall down. And plus they don't re-oil. So, you know, there's everybody playing all over the place. Yeah, definitely brings a new element to transition, I would imagine. But, uh, Canzaro, did you take that for your notes? Quality over quantity for hundred percent. You and I do that, and so I said we are at, at our age, uh, we certainly don't have the the endurance to uh, to get that going. I think they even made note of that on the show with Tommy being uh, in his mid forties there and uh, not quite ready for uh, the speed game. But uh, I feel it's the same at dinner, really. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's quality and, and over quantity. You don't want to rush. Um, but uh, Chris, you, you said the, you said the f word a couple of times. Uh, in there and, and it's fun um, and now looking at the list of events that you had uh, and looking at what 2020 started out as in, in March and April and kind of where we were headed um, I was trying to count you know how many times I've even left the house since then to be honest but uh, it sounds like uh, Tom and Coley and the PBA and everybody gave you guys uh, a lot of opportunities and, and it wasn't just standard bowling as you said it was entertaining it was fun for you guys especially which is the most important thing for the fans as well uh, and a chance for different players to get out there uh, and compete. Uh, and as you ran down the list, uh, it certainly sounded like 2020 actually uh, shaped up to be pretty good considering uh, everything that's been going on. And now, um, you know, we have a lot to look forward to in 2021 with the big announcement last week, all those events coming up. But uh, just can you sum it up for us? And then uh, you mentioned all the quality time with uh, the wife, Ashley, and uh, and, and the family. So uh, ups and downs and, and positives for sure uh, out of all of it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't at all what I expected. Um, but I think I needed a little bit of time away from bowling to to kind of reevaluate was what was important. So that way I could refocus while I'm actually on tour and reminding myself why I'm actually bowling for a living instead of just competing and, and bowling week in and week out just to, to win money or, or anything like that. Cause the, before the playoffs, the only thing I wanted to do was win and I didn't care about the money. I, I didn't even really care about the trophy. I give all my trophies to my dad because he's the one that actually like he enjoys looking at them and, and people back home in Pensacola, um, you know, they, they're excited to, to see something that, you know, they might not ever get to, to see again or even hold. So my uh, TOC championship trophy and, and the Scorpion championship trophy is, is up in the bowling center. Uh, so that way everyone back home can appreciate it. Um, but before the TOC, I was very, I wouldn't call it money hungry, but I was very out to win money instead of just win. And uh, I think that, the reason I was able to win the TOC was because I wasn't worried about winning money. I wasn't worried about trying to support my family or 
pay bills or anything like that. I was just bowling to win because I love the feeling of, of that euphoria after you've won a tournament. And I think I needed the time to actually appreciate that again. So a lot of people hate the fact that COVID happened and I'm certainly one of them at times, but there are some positive things that have come from it for me specifically. Now, take us back a little bit on, on your personal journey. You mentioned your dad, you mentioned Pensacola, the Florida Panhandle. Uh, growing up there, of course, um, on the water, uh, one of the most beautiful places. Uh, so for you to end up first in Wichita uh, and now living in Illinois, of course, surrounded by all the lakes and, and different opportunities, um, just tell us, tell us about that path. Of course, uh, you know, the sacrifices to, to give up some, some luxuries to, to enjoy others. And, uh, you know, there, there's worse places. I think you could spend <laughs> those, those college years in uh, Wichita state as well. Yeah. So before I got to Wichita state, I knew literally nothing about bowling. Um, if my ball didn't hook, I moved right. Well, your guys is right that way. Um, and if my ball did hook, I moved left unless I was on a short pattern, then I just threw it harder. Um, I didn't know anything about surface covers, cores, nothing. I, I didn't know anything. So Wichita and Gordon Vatican, Mark Lewis, and all the players that are there, uh, taught me everything. You know, they gave me this little bit of a spark to, to, that actually like opened my eyes on how much knowledge there actually is and, and all the knowledge that you can gain in bowling. And, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why I bowl the way that I do. I'm very analytical. So, you know, most everyone knows that we have ball reps and with storm and rotor grip, we have two or three sometimes. So one thing that I like to do is go to one ball rep. Let's say I'm going to talk to Jim Callahan. I'll ask his opinion. What, what is he seeing? What balls look good? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'll go and talk to another ball rep, Tim Mack or Sean Ryan, whoever's there, and get their opinion. And then I'll take information from both and then make a, a decision myself based on what they're saying. And most people will just take what they have to say and, and go. But because of the things that I learned at Wichita, and, and it's, it's sparked this little bit of, uh, you know, creativity in my brain that that helps me take both sides of it and and come up with something different than what other people might see. Um, But how I got to Wichita is actually pretty interesting that most people probably don't know. Uh, I grew up in in Pensacola, Florida, and it's actually, I, I grew up in Milton, Florida, which is a small town just east of Pensacola. And, uh, my dad runs a bowling center, DeLuna lanes, uh, in Pensacola. And he was doing a pin setter, some, uh, pin setter seminar with, uh, Bob Hanley. He used to be on tour. And, uh, I was out there practicing while they were doing the seminar and Bob was watching me bowl, um, from where they were doing the seminar. And he asked my dad like, Oh, who's that kid out there bowling? He's like, Oh, that's my son. He's like, Oh, has he ever heard of Wichita state? And he goes, I don't think so. I don't think that's where he was going. And this is like July. And I start college in like August or <laughs> September or whatever. So he's like, well, uh, tell him he's going to go to Wichita State. And my dad was like, okay. So he goes over there and 
<laughs> about a week and a half later, Gordon calls me and is like, hey, we, we want you to come up for a camp at the end of July, and then you can start school in August if you like it. And I was like, okay. So I go there and uh, go to the camp, and we hash out all the you know scholarship stuff and talk about school and actually register for classes while I'm there and then drive home, pack up a car, and turn around and go back. And uh, so everything happened within a month or two of school starting, whereas my life could have been totally different where I could just be a Joe Schmo average bowler. Um, you know, if I would have gone to the college that I originally wanted to. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, my life totally changed in a matter of two months and, and put me on this path of, you know, being able to bowl for a living, which is ultimately everything that I ever wanted to do. So thank you, Bob Hanley. Appreciate it. All right. Hook and Bob getting the, getting the job done. <laughs> yeah, I have to ask him real quick though. Was the other school by chance, the, the university of Florida? No, it was uh Florida state or uh. there's a, another college. It was in Tennessee, which is probably where I was going to end up going. It's uh, Cumberland University, and the only reason why I was going to go there is because all the kids that I bowled are like traveling youth thing, uh, SSJBA, which is Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. Um, they basically started the the college bowling team there, and we were all going to go bowl together. But I was going to be like the player coach or whatever because the guy that was going to be the coach, was he didn't know anything. And, uh, which wouldn't have been any different if I was the coach. Cause you know, I didn't know anything then either. Gotcha. Well, Canzaro instant reaction to the, the thought of Chris Prather going to Florida state. Uh, hey, <laughs> nothing against it. Uh, I, I have an acceptance letter to Florida state as well. I just made a better decision uh, when it was time, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, some, some great folks uh, have gone there. And of course to, to Wichita state, some very talented players as well. Uh, I feel like we've had quite a few on this show, which means uh, it is a breeding ground for success. And uh, I know eventually in your OC career, uh, there was some Wichita State connection, not initially. Uh, and then that's uh, something we can certainly talk about, the Open Championship, something you got to experience with your dad. And your first event uh, was with uh, some folks from home, so some Florida guys uh, as a 19-year-old, fresh off your first year at Wichita. So taking all the things that you learned uh, in that whirlwind of a year, I actually did not know that. I just know that uh, coming out, uh, you know, you, you had the, the little bit of the Wichita swagger when we saw you in 2011. Uh, you came out and, and you really lit it up at the National Bowling Stadium. So a little intimidating, of course. Uh, very serious about what you do. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, the fun aspect again you guys do have a lot of fun out there, but uh, tell us about that first open championship. Let's just dive right in. Uh, you had experienced it as a spectator with your dad, but uh, to be able to, to join those guys, uh, ironically, the, the thing you didn't want to do was let them down. You wanted to bowl well and have them proud to have you as a teammate. I would say that first one went pretty well. Yeah. The, uh, the first one went really well. Um, I think I had like six forty in team, which was high by a lot. Um, on the on the squad uh for our 10 guys and uh i think i'd bowled like 680 with my dad in doubles or something like that and uh and then i had 820 or 818 in singles and uh they actually kicked me off after that they were like you're too good we don't want to bowl with you 
And uh, no, my dad was like, yeah, you can go and win an Eagle with your friends that actually bowl all the time. And, uh, you know, they were like, we want you to go win an Eagle. It'd be a lot cooler. But yeah, that first year, um, my dad, all, oh, that's a good picture. Oh, man. <laughs> Cheese and hard. Uh, I was, I'm like 60 pounds lighter there, too. Um, but yeah, the first year, it was nerve wracking because one, it's in the National Bowling Stadium and the big high vaulted ceilings make the lane look forever long and like your ball's never going to get down there. And, uh, and then on top of that, you're bowling for a bunch of money, bowling for Eagle, bowling for history, bowling, you know, with my dad. So I was super nervous and, uh, just told my dad, you know, like, Hey, like, and especially in singles doubles, I was like, play the gutter, don't move and we'll bowl. Okay. And about two games in to singles, he was like, might win. And I had kind of heard him say that and I hadn't even thought of it. And I started game three with flat 10 strike, flat 10 blower seven. And it, uh, it ended up if I carry the blower seven or one of the, the flat tens, I would have won an Eagle my very first year. But, uh, you know, it came full circle and we ended up winning a team Eagle a few years later with, uh, Brent Bowers and a few other guys, Mitch Hoopé uh justin zwashka zach rhodes so it's a good time well now going back to to that photo uh it was at the nbs again in reno uh back before the renovations a little dark in there so i appreciate you wearing that shirt so we're able <laughs> to see you uh you know who's who's the guy bowling 800 oh just look for the the glowing the, shirt yeah the glowing shirt and me and my dad actually bought those in the in the shop down downstairs because we were like, oh, we don't have any matching double shirts. And he's like, yeah, go pick one. And my style then was loud shirts, loud pants, kind of like the the Kyle Troop of, of today. And, uh, you know, I in high school, I didn't really get to express myself too much because uh, of where we grew up, um, where I grew up. You know, there, it was a lot of camo or uh, – you know, collared shirts and ties. Like there wasn't really anything in between. So once I got to college, I was like, I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear. And I saw the brightest shirt. There's actually a lime green one that is just as bright. Uh, but yeah, I still have that shirt. I think I might've signed it. I think it might be hanging up. I'm not sure. But that was a good, that was a good time. A lot of good memories there. Well, now going back to those those games, I mean, the opportunity to bowl with your dad and and your friends uh, from home, and um, that had to be pretty special for you. And then to have that success, uh, I'm sure you knew going into the event what the Eagle was all about. Maybe uh, from from them, maybe a little bit from from Coach Vatican and, and the Wichita State folks. But uh, as far as expectations going in, I mean, yeah, everybody says they're going to win an Eagle, but expectation wise. Okay, is this gonna happen? And, and and you got that close. It took eight twenty six to win that year. Matt Wagon uh, did special things uh, during doubles and singles, uh, but back then still just one oil pattern. So an opportunity for you to learn from each set, uh, and then to be on the verge to be that close to the eagle to shoot eight hundred on the big stage. Uh, talk about all of that and what it means, and, and how much did you really understand what had happened 
uh, when it was over or as it was happening. You mentioned, you know, it, it took your dad mentioning it partway through, but did you have any idea what the numbers were? Uh, did you did you think that this was going to be the debut that was going to happen? Yeah, no, I I didn't know anything about the scores. Uh, I didn't know anything about the board uh, where they put the top ten from each event and everything like that. I didn't I didn't look at any of that because back then I you know just wanted to bowl. I just wanted to compete and 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 put on a good show and everything like that. Like I didn't care about money or uh, and I I knew about winning an eagle and how incredible of an accomplishment it was, but I didn't understand the, the prestige of the award. Uh, I didn't know how much it meant to people until I got into that situation. And a lot of my friends were like, wow, that's insane. Like you were that close and it's your first year. Like that's incredible. Uh, so yeah, I, I, <laughs> I give my dad, uh, a little bit of little bit of crap every once in a while about it but he uh he's he's just like always remember i'm the one that kicked you off our team so that way you go and and bowl better with other with all your friends and actually win and stuff so yeah i mean it's it's a cool feeling but you know i wouldn't have been in that situation if it wasn't for my dad and his friends anyway because there's a lot of transition that goes on with that especially in six games um so for them to, and a lot of them actually listened to what I had to say, even after only having a year worth of practice and things like that um, at Wichita, they, they trusted me to, to give them good advice and, and they listened to what I had to say. And, you know, obviously I was on the good end of it. You know, I, I ended up bowling well, but they also ended up bowling a lot better than what they, you know, previously thought they would have but my expectations going into it was definitely not finishing in the top 10 in all events and finishing uh, second in uh, singles. So, you know, I, I have a tough time uh, with those expectations now because I have a better idea as to what to expect. Now, every year at the OC, we have a different lane condition. Uh, since 2013, it's two different lane conditions, but at 2011 – uh, it's no secret. They were a little bit higher scoring. We had a record number of 800s. Uh, definitely great for the confidence. 21.56 was your all events total. 8.18, as we mentioned, for the runner-up finish in singles. However, uh, you didn't win. You got kicked off the team. You had to find a new group for 2012. Uh, that group included uh, some of the names you've already mentioned from Wichita, Brent Bowers, uh, Mark Jensen, some, some top, top talent. Uh, but to point out now, uh, 2012, much tougher condition-wise. Your first three games in 2012 actually were less than your first two games of singles in 2011. So uh, maybe a, a little bit of a wake-up call uh, as far as uh, the event perhaps or, or learning opportunity. Uh, that year, 2012, ended up being your lowest overall, and then things have gotten uh, pretty good over the, the year since. Now nine years in the books. Uh, but tell us about coming off of the debut in 2011 – uh, and then going into 2012, and again, uh, 2012 was a build year, so you had a chance first to see the amazing National Bowling Stadium, uh, and then get to see what we do, building the venue from the ground up inside the convention center. Uh, again, much tougher lane conditions, a new group of teammates uh, who maybe in this case, uh, you were there learning from them, whereas the year before, 
uh, you were the guy kind of handing out the advice. So tell us about 2011 to 2012. Yeah, for me, 2012, I went in with the expectation that there's, you know, the, there's not going to be a ton of friction on the lane. Uh, so we, and also you weren't allowed to surface bowling balls while you were out on the lanes. You had to do it in the paddock before you walked out. And we didn't do, I think we might've done one team practice, but it's really hard to get a judge on what the lanes are going to be like. Cause it's going to be totally different by the time you get over there. So with that being said, while I was in the paddock, I was talking to Mark Lewis and Brent Bowers and I was like, Hey, you know, what do we, what do we think surface wise? Do we need to hit something with a little surface? You know, what do we need to do? And the balls that I had checked were way too strong. Like, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember a lot of surface. And then as soon as we started bowling, my ball, you know, our game plan every year is to play like three, four, five in team. So that way we have all the lane to the left and we, we never run out of lane. And my ball literally hooked as soon as it went in the, as soon as it touched the lane and then went in the left gutter. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's not at all what we want to see. So from the get go, I had the wrong idea, uh, didn't have the right game plan. And I was pretty much fighting the lane the entire time and trying to also not destroy the lane while, you know, my other uh, companions there are trying to, to bolt. So, uh, you know, going into that, I was like, okay, well, now it's just like try to shoot 600 in hopes that everyone else can also bowl well. And uh, it was definitely a learning experience to have a little bit more versatile arsenal whenever you go because you don't really know what you what you can expect. After that, Brent Bowers, he stuck with you. He, he had some trust in you that you were going places. Uh, probably a good idea. That guy, he's a smart kid. He knows uh, he knows what's going on. But after that, we had back-to-back -back Reno years. So three out of four years, actually, we're at the National Bowling Stadium. Again, uh, a special place, a, a place that you had success. Uh, so going back there, getting comfortable with your new teammates and the, and the new situation and, and uh, getting the strategy down. And um, things went well for you. A couple good years. Uh, and then 2016 happens. And again, uh, you got so close to that Eagle in 2011. Uh, and now the opportunity to, to share that with your teammates. You guys uh, put on quite a show. You're on the live stream schedule already that year. We had some technical difficulties. So folks missed part of it, at least live as it was happening. Uh, but they were there for the end. Um, what an amazing performance you guys had as a team, top to bottom. We talked to Brent a little bit about it when he was on the show. Uh, but to be able to share something like that with your teammates, again, that's what college bowling is all about, something you'll experience now with Team USA, something that you've had the chance to do uh, in the PBA League a couple of years in a row now. Uh, so nothing like team bowling. I think you probably agree, uh, but tell us about that, getting comfortable getting the group together uh, and then things falling in place for you in 2016 uh, collectively and, again, back at the National Bowling Stadium. Yeah, uh, so – that was an, a very interesting year for us. And uh, I say that because I don't really like to talk money too much, but there was a group decision that we were just going to corp everything and 
uh, and kind of split as a, as a team because we're working together as a team. And we were not necessarily worried, but we wanted to make sure that our companion team that was on the pair with us understood that, you know, if all 10 of us can break down the pair together, then our scores as a whole are actually going to go up. And I can't remember everyone that was on that companion team. I believe it was Derek Lewis. Uh, I think my wife was on that team as well. Her, my wife's only goal when we bowl is to beat me. And normally she's, <laughs> she actually succeeds. Um, but yeah, I mean, during that event, we just communicated so well. Um, ball changes, moves, everything. And, and that's definitely what has to happen if you're going to want to even have an opportunity to win an Eagle or even place in the top 10 at the Open Championships. So having that confidence in each other, and all of us have bowled together um, in Wichita. So that made it even easier. Four of us at that time were actually Wichita players. Bowers had, Bowers was a senior my freshman year. So we had four of us were just competing together uh, all the time. So that made it super easy. And just knowing that every person that was on that team was putting in the time on the lanes to give our, our team the best opportunity to succeed was very relaxing, but definitely coming down to that, that the last, like, I want to say it was the last two frames of the game for the whole team. So the ninth and 10th frame for the whole team, Bowers is a big numbers guy. If he says he's not, he's lying to you. Cause he's like, okay, if we all strike in the ninth, and all double and tenth, we win. And I'm like, Bowers, I don't want to know. Like, I don't want to know what I have to do. I just want to get up there, throw the ball. And he's like, we can do this. We can do this. We're going to do this. And I, this is before he even bowled. And I'm like, all right, B, you go, you go throw a shot. And he gets up, strikes. He's like, we're doing this. And then Zach strikes. We're doing this. Justin strikes. We're doing this. And I, like he does that for the next like 12 shots in a row. And I'm pretty sure we all struck in the ninth and we all struck the first ball in the 10th. And I think it came down to Mitch and I striking out in the, in the 10th to, to seal it up if I remember correctly. And uh, it was just an incredible rush of emotions when uh, we all, you know, when Mitch and I struck out in the 10th to, to get it done. And even, even then, we still had a couple weeks left of the tournament. I think like three or four weeks left of the tournament. So there was still a chance that people would would bowl well and, and pass us and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of good memories. A lot of, lot of fun bowling with them. Now, Brent did mention uh, that in that group, uh, he was kind of the, the old man of it. He was like way over the hill at like 28 at the time, whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, and then so, some youngsters uh, in the group as well, not really maybe – uh, in tune or understanding what the OC was all about, what it meant to accomplish what you guys did, but you kind of fell in between there personally uh, based on your experience. So what, besides being the workhorse to, uh, to get the job done there at the end, um, where did you see your role within that group where uh, Brent was the, the big brother to everybody and, and keeping things organized and the motivator. Uh, but uh, where did you, you see yourself in that uh, team situation? Yeah, at that time it was my, First or second, I think it was my second year on tour. So 
I think my big role in that was just making sure that everyone saw the lane correctly and, and knew what they needed to do whenever they got up to throw a shot. Um, made sure that people were ahead of the moves and, and kind of knew what to expect and was able to talk guys through ball changes. Uh, I think that was huge as well. Um, that way they were, they didn't have to think about what they had to do. Even Brent, like Brent, you know, as good as he is as a bowler. I mean, he just shot 899 a couple weeks ago. Um, if he says he's over the hill, he can, you know, I know it's North rock on the house shot, but I mean, still, um, but I, I think that that was my, my role was just making sure that no one really had to think about what they had to do. They could just go and do it and hope that it worked. And, you know, luckily I, I knew what I was talking about a little bit back then. So, uh, we were able to, to see it and, and accomplish it. Uh, you got it done. You got the lead. As you mentioned, still some time left in the event, but that was just day one. It didn't end there. It was midnight, whatever time it was when we were all done doing everything. Uh, of course, you want to celebrate and go out and, 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 you know, have a good time. It's Reno. There's no better place. Uh, at that point, there's still a lot of work to do. The next day coming up, you guys bowled relatively early for doubles and singles. Um, Brent mentioned, you know, trying to explain what team all events was all about and that the job definitely, uh, was far from done. Um, talk about that night and, and knowing what you had accomplished, but potentially for you knowing, uh, how much still was ahead over the next, uh, the next day or so. Yeah. For a lot of us, we tend to either bowl well in team event and then struggle the next day or vice versa. Um, and that at that time, we were using two different patterns, mm -hmm. and I don't think we were switching lanes at that time between singles and doubles. I think we was just all on one pair. So there was a lot of strategy that went into that, trying to get uh, the five of us that were on that one team on the same pair so that way we could break the patterns down the, the way we wanted to and try to give ourselves the best opportunity at, at team all events. And I didn't really, I didn't really understand team of all team all events at that time. It, you know, Brim was like, we get another Eagle. And I'm like, well, do we get anything else? And then like, well, yeah, you get to win. Like if you bowl well and win on team all events, you're probably in the top 10 in like every event. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's a good way to put it. So, uh, you know, we didn't really celebrate a whole lot that night because we did have to wake up relatively early the next morning. Uh, and we figured after bowling well in singles and doubles, we could just go celebrate and, and have a good time afterwards. So that was kind of the, the plan for everyone and going into singles and doubles Bowers being the numbers guy that he is was very much like, you know, not necessarily like pushing guys, but was very like, all right, team all events, team all events, team all events. And uh, I think if we could have figured out a way for all of us to just relax and and do the same thing that we had done the day before where we just focused on bowling and what we needed to do, we probably would have had a lot better opportunity at the all event, uh, team all events lead. Uh, I know that we got absolutely demolished by the team that won because we didn't even have 10,000. I, I think they beat us by 1,000 pins overall um because i think we had like 9200 or something like that 
uh, for team all events. Um, but I think it'll be interesting if we can actually get on a team together again. Uh, we haven't been able to bowl together the last couple of years because of the new rules implemented with PBA members, uh, PBA champions, Team USA, Junior Team USA, things like that. So we actually had to disband the last couple of years. Well, the important part was that in Team All Events, you guys, you did get there, right? So you came together and another learning opportunity. In the end, of course, another runner-up finished and, and, and missing out on the Eagle, but uh, a great opportunity to learn about the prestige and the history of the event. I uh, didn't miss out on any prize money there, as, as you noted. Uh, Team All Events uh, does not have any money attached to it. It's all about uh, the, the pride there. Um, Higgy's Aquarium, that's a name. Dan Higgins and the guys will we'll talk about a lot. Uh, they've had a great run uh, since 2013 at the OC. They ended up winning. Uh, it wasn't as, as big a margin uh, as, as you had noted. Uh, you guys were at uh, 97.30 mm. uh, for uh, the runner-up finish. They were at just over 10,000. Uh, and they, they, they let you have the team title. Uh, they were willing to share, and, and they they bowled great, and they've bowled great since. Um, and then when it was all over, uh, you know, you left in the lead. That's all you can do. Uh, and then it was eagle time. At what point uh, did it all sink in for you? I know you missed the chance to be with the other four guys for their eagle presentation in Wichita. Uh, but at what point did it become real to you that that you had accomplished this? Uh, is it when you, you held it? Was it when you came back the next year and saw your name on the banner and saw – all that went along with it. Uh, always cool to hear this part of the story from our, our champions. Uh, I was actually FaceTiming with uh, Holly Harris, I believe, whenever the other four guys were getting their uh, Eagles presented to them. Uh, so for me, it was watching them accept the the trophy and, and accept it on my behalf as well. So – it really sank in whenever, you know, they were all celebrating and obviously I, I had to miss it, but it was, it was just cool. Cause I was like, wow, that's, that's actually something that we did. Like we're going to go in, we're going to go down in history as, as Eagle winners. And, uh, you know, funny enough for Mitch, Justin and Zach, it was only their, their second year as, uh, as open championship participants. And there are some people that go 30, 40, 50, 60 years without ever winning an Eagle and they do it in their second. Uh, so that was pretty incredible. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's just fun to think about whenever, you know, especially when I go home and it's sitting in the trophy case and I'm like, wow, you know, that's, that's, that's insane. And then you get to see your name on the banner every year and, uh, it's just it's it's always a, a a nice reminder that you know even if twenty five years down the road I I can't bowl I'm old and crippled and all that other stuff I'm always going to be on that banner as a champion. Uh, Chris, you know we talked about the uh, the run in two thousand eleven in your debut. Uh, you and Brent were close in doubles in two thousand fifteen, so you had a few mm -hmm. close calls before uh, finally breaking through. Um, you know, just for you in it, you know in that moment as well kind of thinking about that, how close you were before, uh, you know, just getting close, getting almost there. Uh, how much sweeter did it make that win as well? Uh, I finally got Brent off my back because, uh, like you said, the year prior, we we actually finished third in doubles. 
And uh, the last, I want to say it was like the ninth frame or eighth frame or something like that, the last game of doubles, Brent's got a good string going. We got a real good shot at uh, the doubles lead. And I go through the face and leave a 4-6-10. And for those of you that don't know, at Reno, the pin the pins don't bounce at all. Like the you can't get a pin to bounce out of the back for anything. And when it does happen, it's it's a it's a bit surprising because you're not expecting it. And uh, I shot the the six ten, and the six comes flying out and hits the four, but the four doesn't fall over. And if I would have had the spare there, or if I didn't split or whatever, we actually end up taking over the Olivens lead. And if everything stays the same the way it is, we would have won the eagle by like one pin or two pins or something like that. So for the whole year, he gave me a bunch, just kept, you know, John at me for a year. Like, wow, we could be Eagle winners right now. Like that could be us over there. And then we go and win the team Eagle. And I'm like, okay, finally you can be quiet about that. We got the team Eagle now. Right. And, uh, but he still gives me crap about it all the time. Every time he sees me (laughs) could have two Eagles instead of one. Good old Brent. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, you guys got to, to experience everything that comes with being a defending champion. So we went to Vegas in 2017, first year at the South Point Bowling Plaza as well. Um, but uh, you guys didn't bowl poorly at all. I mean, sometimes uh, it's a, a definitely a tough experience to come in knowing that everybody's watching. Uh, you were able to, before the rule changes, you, you had all the guys back together for that one. Uh, do you remember much uh, about walking in and, and just realizing that uh, – you know, you guys were the targets. Folks were looking. Um, you're going to be announced and all the, the things that, that come with it. Uh, you're not going to sneak under the radar. There's no shark music or anything. Like, it was like it. Was it. Like, it was almost like you're wearing that orange shirt still. Everybody was watching you guys uh, come to get it done. But uh, tell us about the title defense because that's, that's never an easy thing. Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember much about that year. I remember walking in and uh, – a lot more people noticed that we were there. Um, you know, people came and said, congratulations, you know, we're really looking forward to uh, you guys getting your watches and things like that. And uh, it was a little bit more daunting than it was, than I thought it would be. You know, I didn't want to, you know, come off of such a good year in 2016 and then in 2017, you know, shoot 520 and and team again and, uh, you know, and, and, and have a a really rough year as a team. And I think when we left, we were in the top 10. Um, I think we had an opportunity at, at, I think at worst we were in the top 20 when we left. I don't really remember, but I just didn't want to leave there thinking like, wow, we, that was a very poor, representation of this team and 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 that was a very poor attempt at a title defense and i think going into the last game we we needed a huge game i think we needed like 1180 or 1200 or something like that to to really have an opportunity to to take over the lead and 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 go back to back and we didn't get there but uh overall it was a very good effort uh from all five of us for sure well, nobody's ever gone and won two in a row, so it's uh, 
certainly very challenging to do. You guys ended up 21st that year. Very respectable uh, in, a, in a huge field. Again, our first time at that venue, well over 10,000 teams. So top 21, that's, that's a pretty nice uh, performance out there. Uh, and it also gave you a chance to get uh, pretty comfortable at South Point. Uh, we'll fast forward a couple of years now. Again, uh, you mentioned uh, being in the running for the watch, the runner-up finished top three, get watches. Uh, I think now between you and Matt McNeil, with all these performances, you guys could open up a pretty well-stocked jewelry store. So many watches <laughs> uh, and, and another one coming your way uh, after 2019. But let's fast forward a little bit. Again, the rule changes, mixed up the groups a little bit, changed things for you personally uh, based on your success on the PBA Tour and such. Uh, but 2019, we're back at it. And this was a, a nice learning opportunity for our local staff uh, in Las Vegas as well. Again, um, you know, a lot of discussion on, on event coverage and Facebook Lives and different things. Somebody making a, a run at the lead and such. Uh, and you bowled uh, early in the morning for doubles and singles. And, and you had a, a good team event. So, of course, already you're on the radar just because of the couple of years that you've already had. Uh, so I'm watching on, on the live scoring, getting ready to, to head over to the office, but I want McKenzie to, to handle things. No matter what happens, she's got this. She's she's great with coming along as uh, as one of us, and uh, here's an opportunity to really shine, and, and, and you just kept on striking and striking. So I'm watching. I'm getting nervous because I want to be there and be part of it as well. So uh, I'm watching along, and, uh, and, and she's got it completely under control. But now we get down to the end of singles uh, and going into game three, uh, we have potential new singles leader, new all events leader uh, and different for you because uh, this is now back to individual success. The team thing been there, done that got a new group uh, and now you are uh, rising to the occasion individually. Uh, tell us about just 2019, just being different. You're already a PBA tour champion at that point. Uh, the mentality is different. You're an Eagle winner. Uh, certainly a, a different Chris Brather than we saw in 2011 doing pretty much the same exact thing. But uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So going into the last game, I knew for the singles lead, I needed 300 or at least 290 or something like that. I needed, I struck in the first. And I was like, okay, well, I can't miss again. So I have to have them all. And uh, I think I missed in like the seventh or eighth frame or something like that. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I can't win singles. Let's let's just keep on going. I didn't even think about all events. I didn't even know about all events. Um, so I'm just bowling, you know, go, doing my thing. And then I throw the first one in the tenth, and everybody's clapping. I'm like, right, I didn't think anything of it. I get up the next one, and I have the best messenger that I might have thrown that entire year, and it missed. And I leave a ten pin, and I'm just like, ah, whatever. Didn't think anything of it. Make the spare. My dad goes, I, as soon as I walk off, my dad goes, you strike there, you take over the all events lead. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because I only had like 630 or 640 in team. Only had 680 in, in uh, doubles. So, yeah. Well, of course, we have it here on video. As you noted, uh, a double would have gotten you there. Yep, and, and uh, you got the first one, and uh, and as the kids say these days, a pretty sick messenger, uh, and this the ten pin just wobbling and mocking you uh, when it was all over with. Yeah, so there's and there's the first hit there, and and this is it. This is for the lead, and eventually what would have been the title. 
Yeah. And... Yep. Oh, I had seven seven nineteen. Okay, I didn't know I bowled that well in doubles. Uh, I thought I only had like six ninety. But yeah, no, it was. I I think after my dad told me that, and I did the math and everything like that, I because we were on the high end. I went all the way to the bathrooms, came back, and I was just like, "Wow, I can't believe I I did that." Because you know, after I didn't strike, I was just like, "Okay, let's just try to make some money in brackets, things like that." You know, get my all events as high as I could, and uh, try to make some more money in the tournament that way. And uh, not that I threw a bad shot by any means or anything like that, but I think if I would have been just a little bit more committed, probably strikes because we did a really good job of breaking that pair down. And uh, I give them, I give them, uh, you know, very little credit in everyday life. But this is your one-time Matt Zigowitz, since I know that you are watching. Um, he is actually part of the reason why I bowled so well in singles and doubles uh, last year uh, because we were starting to make our move, our migration left um during doubles and he was like hey one thing you should probably do is make more parallel moves instead of opening up your angles and creating a lot of shape and obviously by the end there uh we had done such a good job of breaking down the lanes that i had plenty of shape through the front part of the lane but he's like right now you need to make more like uh three and twos or one and a half and ones i make i make half moves just because they're they're comfortable for me but he's like make more like three and twos or uh, more parallel moves like that instead of your four and twos or five and threes or six and threes because um, it'll help control the pocket a little bit better. And if he doesn't tell me that, I probably don't bowl as well as I did. I probably still bowl okay, but not not 790. And uh, so uh, a lot of credit goes to him for that, uh, giving me that knowledge before we you know, got too far into it. Now, at that point, um, we knew late in game three, singles wasn't going to happen. But uh, looking up at the scoreboard, obviously, 800 is still a possibility, somewhere that you've been already. Um, how was that time different, stepping up on the approach, knowing that you didn't know about the all events, different question, uh, but as far as the 800, you've been there, very short list of guys with multiple 800s at the OC. Uh, how did it feel stepping up uh, on the approach, knowing that, that was a possibility at that time, at least compared to the first time. Uh, you want to hear something funny? I didn't know about that either. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a score watcher. I, I bowl a lot better whenever I'm not worried about the score and I can just focus on throwing a shot. And, uh, so, I mean, like, I think, I think I had an idea about it where, you know, obviously I didn't know that, there was a short list of people that had thrown multiple 800s at open championships. But uh, for me, I was just trying to get my score as high as I could up there. So that way I could, you know, make some money, maybe win an Eagle, maybe do something. And, uh, you know, uh, just didn't, didn't work out in my favor. Uh, but that's, that's how I like to bowl kind of in a, in a state of ignorant bliss, I guess you'd like to just, where I'm just going through my own process and, and throwing shots and not worrying about the score. Uh, you did mention uh, when your dad came up to you after the fact to let you know that that, that one carries uh, and it's potentially an all-events title for you that maybe had you known, um, 
maybe something would have been a little bit different. So I have a feeling, just a hunch, that we're going to be in that position again. You mentioned it with Brent Bowers earlier, uh, saying, you know, this is what we need, and he's your numbers guy. You had your dad there this time. Uh, but it's probably going to happen again. So just so everybody out there knows, when we get down to it, do you want to know, hey, you need a double here? You need, like Just to, to have the opportunity, uh, knowing it, maybe it'll change what happens on the approach there. Do you want to know in that moment? Um, I don't think I want anyone to tell me because then it becomes real. Whereas if I am just a little bit more aware of the situation, then I can put it upon myself to make myself a little bit more uh, committed to what's what's going on, a little bit more focused uh, to what's going to be happening. Because if somebody tells me like, hey, you, you got to have these two, like, it's instant, like fist in the ball, like it ain't coming off. Um, but if I can be aware of what's going on, I can go through my process and, and help myself come over that anxiety and nerves uh, to still be able to put a good shot online. I mean, that's that's the only way I've been able to win on tour is is being able to battle my own emotions and and you know overcome those now when that was all done uh in las vegas uh, you were three pinch short 21 53 was the number ryan mao 21 56 took home the title uh when you had a chance for it to settle in a little bit uh how does it does it feel to be that close uh, knowing that um you know you could have you could have gotten there just one wobbly 10 pin away but you have the Eagle from 2016. So I imagine the feelings in that moment are completely different than if 2016 never happened. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too upset when it was all said and done. Um, I was initially just because I was like, wow, okay. You know, if that, that 10 pin falls, you know, that's what everyone, that's what everyone is going to remember is that 10 pin falls. It's a, it's a different story, but what people don't think about is the, 710 I left in team or the big four I left in team that if that seven pin falls and I make that spare, then that 10 pin doesn't matter. You know, I, I don't think I missed any makeables uh, that, so I, I didn't lose any pins there, but the couple splits that I left in team event, if those aren't splits and those turn into spares, then I'm an Eagle winner. So yeah, that 10 pin didn't carry, but there were all these other factors that could have been different that would have led to me being an Eagle winner uh, again. So that's, you know, kind of what I forced myself to realize was like, yes, that shot didn't strike, but there were other shots that split or didn't strike that could have, you know, been a makeable or struck that would have made that shot irrelevant. So to me, that 10 pin is just as irrelevant as the 710. Um, so, you know, it is, that, that's just how I have to, you know, justify it in my mind, I guess, and make it a little bit easier on myself. Well, I think that's definitely a, a very mature analysis because, uh, Chris Brather, 2011 might've just blamed everything on that one messenger, uh, ruining yep. everything. So, uh, certainly personally, you've come a long way and, and most bowlers wouldn't see it that way. They would say that. This 10 pin denied them everything when it was a three game set and one something along the way could end up being the difference. So, um, you know, that just, that just goes to show how far you have come and in your success, uh, again, at the same time, 
uh, some folks will, will say for sure that you learn as much, if not more, from the losses or the defeats than you would from a victory. So it uh, sounds like you've learned a lot. You're, you learned a lot about the event and how to succeed there. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have this conversation again, and, and it, it'll be because the job got done. Uh, but to sum up the Open Championships before we move on to, to what's coming up for you, um, knowing all that you've accomplished and, and all the people you've gotten to share it with, what does the event mean to you? You'll forever be a champion there. You'll be announced every single year for the title and the 800, uh, no matter what you do, whether it's 70 years or 100 years or, or two more years. Uh, you will forever be a part of the event's history. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. So what does the event mean to you now, and what you know? what can you tell – the new, the next crop of young Wichita State players coming to make a name for themselves. Yeah, for me, the the event is just simply just history. You know, you, it's a good way to put your name in the history books without going on tour or being a major champion or anything like that. It's it's a good way to have success with your friends and have a good time just doing what we all love and being competitive without it being your life. Um, and for the youngsters coming up, the open championships aren't as intimidating as you might think. Yes, it's a huge tournament. Everyone in the nation goes and bowls. It's a lot of competition and you only get nine games a year. Uh, so there is a little bit of, stress in that where you want to have the best nine games of your year right then. But if you relax, go through your process and just know that it's just another tournament, it's not that intimidating. It's just doing what you are trained to do, what you love to do is just on a bigger stage. Well, now outside of the OC stage, the open championships, we've also seen you have success on the U.S. open stage. Again, uh, very challenging conditions, uh, a wild format, uh, but a lot of fun watching you bowl 300s uh, every time, it feels like. Uh, I've been to two U.S. opens, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm out there videoing you shooting 300, throwing the big shots on the big stage and uh, doing it very calmly. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about as, as we talk about that, of course, the U.S. open, uh, for 2021, right around the corner as well. But uh, we had fun in, uh, it was a 2019, right? The final game of the event, match play, oh, way, way out of the TV show, uh, but fighting to the very last shot. You bowled a, a very entertaining 300. It was, that was a fun game, Aaron. If, if you remember all the things that were happening, Tom Doherty and Sean Rash and just all these things happening around us. And, and here's Prather doing his thing. And, um, Tell us about that through. I just wanted to, I wanted to hear about that. That was fun because Brad and Kyle were there doing their thing. Yep. And you guys have a ton of fun just to be part of that group. Uh, has to be incredibly entertaining off the lanes, but then all business while you're on the lanes. But uh, tell us about that big moment in your bowling career. Yeah, it was a lot of fun just in general. Uh, Cause you know, like you, like you said, I was way out of the show, had no chance. Like, um, and I had just bowled on the pair that I was finishing my last game on. And I had like 240 or something like that. And uh, Brad and Kyle broke out the camera. And they were talking like, hey, Chris, how's the how's this last game going to go? I was like, you know, I just got done bowling on this pair. I think if I really tried, I could probably shoot 300 on it. 
And Brad goes, okay, bet. And uh, I was like, all right. And he's like, I'm going to film every single, every single shot. And I'm like, all right, cool. And uh, I think in like the fifth frame or sixth frame, I was locked in the gutter and in front of the ball return. And I slid into the, uh, the foul light cover and I like, it stopped me. So it never, my ball never projected to the right. And I almost missed the head pin to the left and uh, still ended up striking. And I came back and I told him, I was like, it's just, I'm too good. And uh, <laughs> was John at him a little bit. And in the uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th, after the first after the first one, after the 10th one, I was like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, buddy. I'm sorry. And then I threw the 11th one, and I don't even know if I watched it. And uh, I was just like, it's time. It's right now. And then I threw the 12th one, and I was like, there's no way that one doesn't strike. I mean, I, if I get nine now, then I just look like a tool and uh, got lucky and uh, ended up striking. Oh, yeah, here we go. We've got that as well, of course. <laughs> that was a, a fun day. Yeah, it was uh, It was a good time. And, uh, you know, I, I had called uh, a 300 before when I was in, uh, like, my freshman year of college. I had told somebody I was going to shoot one and then shot one. And, uh, but obviously that was on a house shot and, uh, you never think about doing it at the U S open or, or anything like that. So it's just, it, it was a, a good time. It was funny. Yeah. And, were you more nervous in this moment and winning this bet or bowling for a hundred thousand dollars? Not once, oh, but twice. hundred thousand for sure. hundred thousand. Sure. It's, uh, not even a, a comparison because i didn't you know obviously you want to shoot 300 at the u.s open you get a a, a cool ring and uh you get it announced the, the following year and everything but for me it was just uh you know i kind of wanted to just show up those guys because they told me i couldn't do it that is uh the very first video on the brad and kyle page uh, One hundred thirty thousand views of uh <laughs> you predicting your 300 and and then doing it and then winning all the ducks that appeared. So, oh, yeah. but, uh, you know, the hot, the house is kind of a big thing. And I, I don't think we can skip this podcast without, uh, you know, talking about that. Obviously, Brad and Kyle have, uh, you know, really just jumped into the stratosphere with all this stuff. It's so great. So fun to watch. Um, but you know, the more I watch your videos, there's more of you than there is, it seems of them. So have they dealt with you becoming the most popular member of the house and the Brad and Kyle channel? Uh, you know, I tell them uh, pretty much every week that, uh, you know, hey, if you need some views, let me know. I'll I'll hop in for a, a hot minute and then your your views double. So uh, I'm still waiting on the, the first royalties check. But, uh, you know, no, the, they do all the work. They they've built it from nothing, obviously, and uh, they do a really good job. Now, if I was doing the, the editing and things like that, then I'd be like, hey, I need to cut. But uh, no, I'm just happy to to hang out with them and and have a good time. Uh, you know, I I had done a little bit of the the vlogging thing with Devin Bidwell when he was still on tour, um, and uh, had a really good time with it. But I was, you know, I don't know anything about editing videos. I don't. Uh, I'm not super confident talking to a camera by myself. Uh, so I, I don't think that I would look as good on camera if it wasn't for Brad and Kyle. Uh, so it's, 
it's a lot of fun for me and I get to do a little bit of something that I wouldn't have the confidence to do otherwise. So it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And of course, uh, you know, that the house itself has, has built its own reputation. It's kind of the young guns on tour. Uh, and we, we got, you know, Brad Miller and yourself still in the PBA playoffs here uh, coming up on Sunday, that show. But uh, you know, what's uh what's that, what's that feel like when you guys are actually out on tour? Obviously it's been a little while for that, but you know, going from stop to stop is, is that almost like being back in college again for you guys? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, especially for them uh, because I snore uh, quite loudly, actually. Uh, my wife hates it. Uh, the, all, all the guys in the house also hate it. So a lot of the times I get the uh, benefit of staying in a room by myself, secluded away from everyone else. And uh, they're sharing like bunk beds, whatever the, the B&B has that we're staying at. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time I have you know my own shower and it's 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 nice. You know, it, it honestly feels like they actually appreciate me bringing views to their channel. Uh, I know that they 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 don't care. They're just like, wow, Prather, uh, you know, just winning all the time, getting the bed by himself, you know, because a lot of the other guys are light sleepers. So I, I take it upon myself to isolate myself from everyone else. Uh, but no, we, we hang out a lot, play a lot of video games when we're not, uh, when we're not bowling. And, you know, I buy them dinner from time to time, uh, whenever I make a TV show and, uh, Mitch is always good for, and he's like, hey, right there, you, you make plenty of money. Why don't you buy us all dinner? And then, you know, Canadians, man. Dude, he's he doesn't like to spend money, you know. But yeah. no, it's a on you now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a it's a good time for all of us. And uh I I'm actually surprised that uh you know there hasn't been any like uh you know egos clashing or or anything like that. We all get along really well and uh nobody has any issues with anybody else. So it, it's, I think that's the only way that it's, it's worked as long as it has is because, you know, nobody takes anything too seriously. We can all joke with each other and, and it just kind of is another part of the atmosphere that we're in. And, uh, you know, everybody likes to have a good time. Well, it definitely looks like it. It translates uh, on camera as well. And now have you guys had a chance to see each other very much? I know, different guys at different events over the time. And, and Mitch, uh, is, is he living in the U S yeah. time? Yeah. He's actually living about 20 minutes, uh, North of me, East of me, something like that. Um, he's, he's living with his girlfriend, uh, Breeze Abiric. And, uh, so he likes to come over, use my drill press, take up my time. Um, let me buy him lunch. Uh, as, uh, we do practice together, and uh, here soon we're going to be uh, working out together. It's on live right now. People know it. Uh, no more fat prather. So uh, he can hold it. He can hold me to it now. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, we're. I get to see Mitch from time to time. Uh, Kyle and Brad. Whenever I go down to St. Louis, um, obviously just bowled the the league with Packy. And uh, Mitch and everybody was there. Uh, I think the only person that wasn't there was Tim. Um, but I mean, other than that, we've all we all talk on a regular basis. Uh, we started playing uh, Among Us um, 
as a group, even though most of the guys are like, Hey, we're too busy. I can't play. Um, but I mean, other than that, we're not seeing too much of each other because all the restrictions and COVID cases going up and all that other stuff. So hopefully we get to be on the lanes again soon and, and hanging out and making more videos for everybody. Well, sounds like uh, everything really going well for you. The, the tour life, the, the, the house life, uh, the, the fish are biting and uh, more of that to come, I'm sure uh, as well. And then uh, the OC career off to a great start too. Uh, but one thing we haven't touched on was something that you got to enjoy for a minute, but never got to experience. And that's team USA. Uh, all of your success has helped earn you a spot on the team for 2020, which now is going to be, uh, moving to 2021. So you're on the team. You get to tell people you're on the team, but you haven't had that experience just yet. Uh, talk about what that means, because that's a, a pretty big deal in the career to, to be able to say, uh, you know, that, that you're on the team and, and hopefully we'll have a chance to contribute soon as well. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely surprising. I, uh, I put in a resume just because I could. I never really anticipated getting picked because I wasn't bowling. Um, more times than not, they pick just based on who's actually at the event for team trials. And I was just hoping that the success that I had had would be enough for them to pick me. And when I was like 19, 20, something like that, I had finished in like seventh or six at uh, team trials and got skipped over for guys that had been on team before and young me was very heartbroken and was distraught by the thought mm. of like wow i just bowled incredible for a week and uh you know obviously i wasn't looking back now i wasn't ready at all like it was a blessing in disguise that i wasn't uh that i wasn't selected and that they they went with who they thought was better suited for the team. And it gave me more time to learn. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I never, never thought that I would get picked off of a resume pick for a first time team USA member. And uh, I definitely thought that I was going to need to bowl my way on. And I always wanted to bowl my way on, but I'm very happy and fortunate that my success on the tour and uh, at the open championships and, and just around the, you know, all over the country is, was enough to, to be selected. So very happy to be a member of team USA and very much looking forward to being able to travel with the team and, and get to know guys that, you know, yeah, I'm friends with a few of them off, you know, just from being on tour with them. But I feel like, being on the on Team USA with them is a good way to create those more true friendships where you get to really know guys and and know your teammates and get to know them for who they are, uh, you know, kind of behind closed doors. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. Well, now that you admitted how loud you snore, they all are going to want a room with other people <laughs> at the events as well. So you're going to have a, a room to yourself at, uh, at the World Championships or wherever we end up. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> my wife wants me to get like surgery or something, and and try to get it to where I can actually, uh, you know, go to sleep without snoring. Start wearing some like nasal strips. So maybe I'll have it fixed by the time we actually get to travel again. Uh, 
<laughs> but I wouldn't hate, uh, you know, having a room to myself to where I can snore as loud as I want and, and have a bed to myself too. Well, next up on the schedule, the next opportunity, at least uh, from our standpoint, the, the team trials uh, a little bit closer to home now for you as well, going from Las Vegas to Indianapolis. That'll be the first week of January. Uh, we haven't seen the tour schedule yet, so typically there's a conflict there the last couple of years at least. But uh, is there a possibility that we'll see at the team trials, and if not there, uh, in February at the U.S. Open uh, up in Schwabenon? Yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to be at team trials this year. Um, part of that is because we don't have a schedule for the tour yet. So I didn't want to commit to bowling team trials when there would be potential for me to not be there based on the tour schedule. So unfortunately, I declined that opportunity, but I will definitely be at the U.S. Open and the uh, the Masters. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to both of those events. Well, we uh, definitely look forward to, to sharing the Team USA stage with you when it's time. That That is part of what I do outside of the Open Championships and uh, and teaching our, our local staff there on, on the ways of what we do. Um, so that will be uh, fun down the road. But now the next time we'll actually see you, as Aaron alluded to earlier, is on the PBA playoffs. Uh, I know you can't tell us how it all shakes out, but uh, just kind of sum up that event, being back there as a defending champion, uh, and then what we can expect uh, and when and where? Um, yeah, I mean, being the defending champion was definitely. I think I wanted to to I wanted to defend that title more than anything else, more than TOC, more than Scorpion, because other people have had the opportunity to defend those titles before, whereas no one else has ever won the playoffs. So. I think it would have been, and it might still be, who knows. Um, my thoughts going into it was like, how cool would it be for the event to only happen twice and for me to be the champion both times? And so going into the event, that's really what I was focused on. I was like, let's get back to the title match. Let's do this all over again and and try to make a little bit of history. And uh, my match that's going to happen on Fox, um, is it Saturday or Sunday? I think they're doing it on Saturdays, aren't they? Good question. That is a good question because I know I had it here somewhere ready to go. queued <laughs> up, and I was hoping that, uh, that you had all the answers for us. But no, nope, uh, go ahead. Keep, keep talking about that. No problem. It's going to be against uh, Anthony Simonson, I believe, yep. was the, was what it was. Um, and, uh, again, uh, that event, uh, looks like a lot of fun, serious business, of course, uh, and, uh, has been very entertaining, uh, across the airwaves, uh, over the weeks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for either Simonson or myself, it's going to be some heartbreak, maybe some joyous, you know, activity going on for one of us, you know, you guys are just going to have to watch to find out. All right, and it's going to be Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern is the, is the time, and that's on FS1 for those who want to tune in uh, and see Shark Kent and Anthony Simonson do battle on the lanes at PBA playoffs quarterfinals. Uh, so cool stuff there. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be some good matches. Going to be exciting. I I 
I personally did not watch the the rest of the event after, um, uh, you know, not on my side of the bracket. So that way I could go back and, and watch it with everyone else. So, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good time for everybody. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, you know, Matt, Matt called you Shark Kent there, and we've heard that on the show. Uh, we've heard Shark. What is your favorite nickname? Uh, I personally love the uh, just the Shark moniker. Um, you know, a lot of people like the Clark Kent. A lot of people like Shark Kent. Um, you know, if I was built like uh, Marshall or uh, Chris Vi, then sure. You know, if I if I was all muscled out and everything, then sure, you could call me Clark Kent, but uh, not quite so much. Uh, I much prefer the uh, the shark moniker because I think it holds. I think it holds true a little bit better. All right, I have. Whatever to... you do, Aaron, don't call him Chris Colella. Oh God. <laughs> uh... So now that we have that established, uh, I, I have to ask, what is the best shark movie of all time? Then is it Jaws? Sharknado? Is it oh. Deep Blue Sea? It's Daniel Jackson in that one. It's great. But uh, do you have a favorite shark movie after you? I I do. Um, I love Jaws. I think the so Jaws, the first Jaws, is by far the best. Um, and uh, funny enough. I actually I didn't know this, but there's Deep Blue Sea two and three, and uh, my wife and I watched number two last night. It was okay. It was, it was all right. Not my favorite by far, but I I do love Jaws, and then I also I would a very close second would be Deep Blue Sea. I think that one is is quite interesting. I, I would agree. It's, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny in a way too. I don't know why, but I right and on the funny side too, along with. Uh, you know, obviously it's a, a drama going on there with. Mm -hmm. I think LL Cool J makes it, makes it funny. Yeah. He yeah. makes it funny. Absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I love Jaws. I, I could watch Jaws at least, at least once a week, just so that way it doesn't get too repetitive. But, uh, but yeah, Jaws by far number one. Excellent. Oh yeah, well, definitely. Again, we learned a lot today. We we covered it. We came right back around. We started with the fishing, and we end with sort of the fishing, I guess. <laughs> um, so, uh, always nice to sit down and hear from uh, our champions and our standouts, and and learn and talk more than just bowling. Talk about life and and the path, the journey. Uh, and somebody mentioned in the chat earlier, David Ozio, a PBA Tour champion, who uh, fishing in his life now. So maybe uh, again, you said talking retirement at 10 wins so another couple of years maybe you're uh, you're that guy out there giving fishing tours in your free time winning beating up on the on the youngsters uh, when you get a chance as well uh but uh, aaron smith before we get going uh, we we talked about a lot of things any final thoughts and final questions for chris before we go uh, just a big thank you to uh joining us on the show today it's one of those things when uh, matt mentioned uh, you're going to be the next guest on the show. I started kind of thinking about it. I'm like, man, this guy has done a lot at the Open Championships. Not even thinking about all the success you've had on the professional level as well. So it's definitely been fun to uh, to run down some of those and definitely appreciate you being candid and fun on the show as well and uh, talking about the guys on the house and everything like that. So definitely a fun conversation, and we uh, we appreciate the time, Mr. Prater. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me on. I had a good time. Uh you know, we've been on here for almost an hour and a half and it doesn't feel like it at all. So, you know, thank you guys for 
you know, giving me the opportunity to, uh, you know, talk about myself a little bit and get, let people get to know me a little bit more. Well, we appreciate the great insight along the way. Some guarantees for 2021. Uh, Chris Prather probably going to shoot 300 at the U.S. Open. Uh, probably going to have to have a watch in your size at the USBC Open Championships. Uh, all things we look forward to. We'll see you on TV for the PBA playoffs. We'll see you out there in a red, white, and blue Team USA jersey very soon. Looking forward to that. Uh, so, folks, stay tuned. Uh, again, we talked a lot about the schedule for USBC and our events uh, coming up in 2021. That's all posted on bowl.com. Some big announcements last week concerning uh, what we have coming up. Some great things happening for the PWBA Tour uh, and for uh, Bowl TV. So we're looking forward to all of that. All the details uh, on bowl.com and special podcast dedicated to each one of those things uh, in the Bowl TV archives as well. Coming up next week, some more great shows here uh, on Bowl TV. Uh, Aaron Smith, I believe, coming up on Monday. Uh, you can tell us more about the PWBA podcast, uh, and then we'll have Bowling Explained on Wednesday, uh, and then the best seasons in professional women's bowling uh, on Friday. Of course, the Inside the OC podcast returns next Thursday with Jay Nephew. He's always a fun guy to talk to. We'll have him. But Aaron, tell us more about what to expect on Monday as well. Uh, Monday's show will be Taylor Boltice joining uh, the PWBA podcast with Jason Thomas. So uh, Taylor, a uh, young player out on the PWBA tour, has found some success on the regional level. So I'll be uh, excited to chat with her and uh, learn a little bit more about her. So we're looking forward to that. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in here today for Inside the OC. If you have any questions along the way before next week's show, drop those uh, into our social media platforms right here in the chat as well. And we'll be glad to get back to you if you have any questions for Aaron or Chris. Uh, they'll be able to uh, answer those for you as well. So uh, looking forward to our next one. And, uh, again, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Aaron Smith, thanks for the co-host job today. Chris, always a pleasure. Looking forward to what you have in store for us on Sunday on FS1 at 2 p.m. Eastern and down the road in 2021, folks. That's the news for now. Yeah.